The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to talk to you this morning about something that I, I, I trust the Lord is leading us to, to uh, think about, which is uh, water, water in, in the scriptures. You know, one of the things I like to do in my studies, you know, if I don't have a particular topic or a particular book that I'm studying in, I like to pick out something, some image or some, some uh, teaching or thing in the scripture and just go through all the scriptures and see what all I can find about it. You know, I've done that about uh, the feet of the Lord and about the hands of the Lord. I've done that about the voice of the Lord. Uh, and then I just decided I, I wanted to study about water because there's, there's so much water in the scripture. And I would encourage you, if, if you're looking for something to study, pick out something like that. Pick out some major image in the scripture, maybe bread or, or just something like that. And I guarantee you that, and I want you to, to, to test this out yourself. I guarantee you if it's a major topic, and you started the Old Testament and you follow it all the way through, it will lead you to Christ. It is amazing. Amen. It is so amazing. Amen. And so as I studied water and began in, in Genesis 1, it was amazing because it was almost as if I was on a river of water flowing all the way to Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, I want us to go on a little riverboat cruise together, okay? Amen. Down this river through the history of God's people, leading all the way to Jesus. And to stretch the metaphor even further, as we go, just look left and right, and we'll see the, the beautiful scenes of God's glory and his, his uh, deliverance of his children along the way. Okay, So Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So right out the gate, God creates something. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So the Lord had already created something, but it was still darkness. It was still without form. And it said, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. What was one of the first things that God made? It was water. Water is the stuff of life. A biologist would tell you that. And then, of course, later... Uh, after the Lord made the light, he divided the waters. He divided the, the waters between the waters above the firmament and the waters below. I believe that was you know, the heavens and then the waters on the earth. And then he gathered up the waters. So he took all the waters and put them in one place. I believe that was the oceans. You know, earth is 70-something percent water. It's interesting that that us as humans are about 70 something percent water as well and of all the the vast oceans and water out there I mean, of all the vast earth that we have 70 percent of it is is water i love it in isaiah 40 it it has this image of god it says that he hath measured who hath measured the waters of the earth and, and the hollow of his hand just in in the cup of his hand, the Lord was able to measure out all the waters of the world. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. That there are some of the greatest mountain ranges 
and valleys that we've ever been able to see, and they're all covered under water out there. We know more about the topography of Mars than we do about of our own planet because so much of it is underwater. And for whatever reason, we haven't spent the money in, in the uh, imagery technology to study out what the, the floor of our ocean looks like. And so you better believe that there are species out there that we have never seen before, uh, we've never uh, named or, or noted. I mean, what about the Leviathan that, that talks about in scriptures? It's possible that it's out there. And that God had measured that out in the hollow of his hand. Isn't that amazing? That is a mighty God. Amen. And then we come over to Genesis 7. This is where we get to the flood. Another major point in history. And it's hard to say how much of what we know of the world was shaped by this event. I mean, think about... Um, the Grand Canyon, perhaps, washed out by this event. And, and how the world as we know it was shaped by this great flood. And so the Lord here uses this stuff of life that he created as, as wrath that he pours out. And he floods the world. And then he gives us that image, the covenant of that rainbow. He says, I will never do this in this way again. So every time we see that rainbow, we can remember God's love for his people. That he will never do that in that way again. Then we go over to Genesis 13. And some of these I'm just going to uh, briefly go over. This is sort of a, uh, a survey course of water in the scriptures. Genesis 13, we've got Abraham and Lot. And, and for a while they were living together, and their herdsmen were together, but then their herdsmen began to argue and to fight, and there was a little tension growing between Abraham and, and his, uh, his nephew Lot. So then Abraham, uh, being a very kind person, being content wherever he was, he said unto Lot, you, you pick where you want to go. You pick, and I'll go the other way. And what does Lot do? He looks down into the plain of Jordan and he sees a place that is well watered. It was very rich because it had, had many sources of water there to water the ground. And so that's where he goes. Not only is water, you know, a, an image of life, but water is also an image of prosperity. For example... Genesis 21, this, is, this will be the first place on our, on our um, river cruise that we're going to stop on the bank for a little bit and look. This is Hagar and Ishmael. So the Lord had promised unto Abraham that he would have a son. By the way, the son would come through his wife, Sarah. But they began to get impatient. And so then the whole... Um, issue with Hagar comes up. So Abraham has a, has a son by Hagar, uh, Ishmael. And then later, 
after the Lord reassured them, that is not what I meant, that the promise is going to come through Sarah. And then when Isaac is actually born, that's when we, we begin to have some problems. It's a little more tension. Because Ishmael is a little older, and he is uh, mocking and picking on Isaac. And so Sarah's not going to have it anymore. And she says, Abraham, I want you to cast out the bondwoman and her son. And can you imagine how difficult that would have been on Abraham? But the Lord said to Abraham, do what she says. This is, this is what I want. And so what does he do? Let's see here. Let's go to verse. We'll go to verse 15. Right, right before this verse, Abraham, he, he loads up uh, Hagar with water, with, with things that she will need to survive in the wilderness. Loads her up with as much stuff as she can carry and sends her out. And verse 15, we, we get to this point. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the, sh of the shrubs. And she went and sat, uh, sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. So what has happened here, she's out in the wilderness and the water that she's had in the container has run out. Now can you imagine being in a situation in which the only wealth that you have, the only source of life that you have has run out. Now, we, we really can't relate. We are so blessed in this nation that we have clean water anywhere. You know, water is not a thing we think about. It is in some parts of the country. Water is an issue. And in other parts of the world, clean water is an issue. But can we imagine... Getting to a position where you're in the desert and your water runs out. You have nothing left. And can you imagine being there with your child and, and saying, I can't bear to watch my child die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him under a bush and I'm going to go a ways off because the child's going to die and I don't want to be there to see it. Can you imagine the darkness that she is feeling, the sadness that she's feeling? I want you to remember this, though. Just a few chapters before that, when Ishmael was born of her, what did she say? She said, Lord God, I, I see this God, the God that sees me. He, she gave a name for God that, that people have used for God from, from then since. Elroy, the God that sees me. That is the name of God that she gave after uh, Ishmael was born of her. Because he said, I am this servant, but the Lord has seen me and blessed me. And here she is now, years later perhaps, in the wilderness and the waters run out. And she's weeping. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, 
and hold him in thine hand. For I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. Can you imagine this? Being so thirsty, there's, there's, the bottle's run out, and you're weeping, and then the Lord comes to you and says, I have heard you. Open up your eyes, and you see a well of water there that you can fill up your bottle as many times as you want. This is the God who sees us. The God who sees you in your pain and in your problems. This is Elroy. Continuing on with the life of Abraham, he, he dug many wells in his life. He had to. He had to have wells to supply his, his flocks. And then with Isaac, his son, his son, what did he do? He dug wells too, but he also redug many of the wells of Abraham. Abraham was a great man, and once he passed, the people of the land that had problems with him but just were too scared of him, they filled in those wells. And so when Isaac came back and he, and he began to grow in, in power and authority too, he went and redug those wells. What does that teach us? There are certain places that you know you can get nourishment, that you can get refreshment. That's the place you need to go. Amen. Isaac knew that that well was, was prosperous in the days of his father. He knew that if he could go back there and redig that well, he could water his flocks. I know that even in the, in, in the dark times, in the week, when I feel so dry, I can come back here to Zion, seeking the Lord, and be refreshed again. But it's not always that easy. Sometimes there's a little sand and a little dirt in my way. I've got to redig it out. Child of God, if you have if you have found yourself wandering away, maybe you have left for weeks from the church, you need to come back. Redig that well. Amen. Then we come to the life of Jacob. Jacob dug a lot of wells too. And he redug wells too. There's one well in particular that we'll talk about here in a minute. I, I told you, when, you're, when you study a major topic in the scripture all the way through, it will lead you to Christ. Like all the streams lead to the ocean, all the streams in the scripture lead to Christ. Jacob dug a well on a piece of property that he gave to Joseph, his son. And then some thousand years later, Jesus would visit that well. Jesus, our God, would visit that well in the flesh for one Samaritan woman. Isn't that amazing? It's so, it's so neat to me to think about how God, who watched Jacob dig this well, then visits it a thousand years later. And gives us some words that we will read here in a minute that have changed lives. Let's go over to Exodus. 
So we've gotten to the life of Joseph now through this, through following the stream. And so Joseph then leads the, the children of Israel into Egypt and they stay there for generations to the point where people forget who Joseph was and then they enslave the children of Israel. And then the Lord sends a deliverer. He sends Moses. And what is the first thing we see of Moses? He was born in a very perilous time, in a time where they were slaying infants. And his parents, fearing that he would also uh, be victim to that, put him in an ark, in a little boat, and they sent him down the river. This is a, another image of the ark that we see in the flood, which, by the way, in Peter teaches us is a type of baptism. It's not, you know, when, when they put Moses in that ark and when, and when the Lord put Noah and his family in, in the ark, it didn't save them from hell. It saved them from the consequences right then. And in like manner, baptism doesn't, doesn't wash away the filth of your flesh. It doesn't wash away your sins. It saves you in another way. It saves you in your conscience. So here we have another image of that. As Moses' life is saved, not his soul, but his life. Then, of course, he grows up. And then he, he goes out into the wilderness and the Lord appears to him in, in the burning bush. And then he comes back and the Lord brings these plagues on Egypt. What was, what was one of the first plagues? The Lord turned the river into blood. I cannot imagine that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of, of uh, blood. Some of you may know that. If all of a sudden the river that I lived on turned into blood, I would lose my mind. Right? Wouldn't you? I mean, even, even if you were okay with it, that would still make you lose your mind. You know, but here the Lord turns this great river, the Nile River, into blood. And then as the Lord delivers them from Egypt, he takes them out and he divides the waters of the Red Sea. Man, what an image of the sovereign act of God saving his people. You know. That would have been a convenient time for the Lord to say, I'm, I'm going to allow you to build boats <laughs> to, to row across this and save yourselves. But no, what he, came, he came in and he delivered his people miraculously from their situation. He divided the waters for them. Let's go to Exodus 17. This is another place where I want us to, to take a little... A snack break on the sandbar of this river. In Exodus 17, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. Wilderness of sin, conveniently for us. And guess what? They've run out of water. See, Exodus 15, we'll do, we'll do that first. 
Exodus 15 and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And, and as we were talking about, water is wealth. I mean, without water, you have nothing. You can survive, you can survive weeks without food. But you can only survive a few days without water. Your body needs it. It has to have it. And so it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much gold you bring out into the wilderness with you. It doesn't matter how many clothes you bring. If you don't have water, you have nothing. And so here, here they are, possibly millions of people that have wandered out into this wilderness following the Lord, and now they have no water. And they came to Marah, and could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. The Lord takes this, this bitter water and he purifies it for them. And then he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. This, this is the story of, of the history of God's people. We follow the Lord. I'm talking about us too, by the way. We follow him in discipleship and then it becomes hard. And then we say, Lord, why have you done this to me? Why have you made this so hard? Why have you abandoned me in this situation? And then we complain and we cry out to him for his deliverance. And what does he do? He delivers us. Even though if it were up to me, I would have to, I would have to stick it to you somehow if you were complaining that much. But the Lord comes and he is just gracious again and again. So then let's go over to Exodus 17. They're without water again. And this time the Lord says uh, to Moses, says, I want you to take your rod, take your staff, go over to this rock, and I want you to smite the rock. And then out of this rock, waters are going to flow. So he did that. He goes over to the rock. He smites the rock. I don't know if any of you, any of you have studied geology, but uh, water doesn't normally come out of a rock, right? But the Lord provided. Water came out of the rock when Moses uh, smote that rock. Now, just a little a, a quick spoiler alert. All the streams lead to Christ, right? In 1 Corinthians, we are taught by the Spirit of God that, that Jesus Christ was that spiritual rock that followed them in the wilderness. Isn't that such a beautiful image of our Savior that he was smitten for us? And that that is where our life comes from. Out of his side, out of his broken body, we get life flowing from that rock. 
We've got a bit of a problem, though. Numbers 20. You know, I don't know if, if we'll ever have an opportunity to talk to Moses about this. Um, but another time came when they were out of water. And you can read, I mean, Moses had a quick temper. He had a bit of a problem with that. But they're without water again. They're murmuring. They're complaining yet again. And the Lord says to Moses this time, he says, I want you to go to the rock. He said, take your staff and go to the rock, and I want you to speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and out of it, waters are going to flow out and nourish the people. So what does Moses do? He goes up, after the Lord has told him that, he goes up to the rock, and he smites it twice. What does the Lord do? The waters come out of the rock. The Lord still provides for his people, but there were consequences. He said to Moses, because of what you've done, you will not see the promised land. And so the Lord blessed him to go up on the mountain and to be able to look over and to, and to see it, but not to enter in. You know, and, and here, here's my speculation as, as to why the Lord punished him. Number one, he was disobedient. But I believe that the Lord was setting up a type, an image of Jesus that Moses sort of messed up a little bit. Because you have, you have the image of him smiting the rock the first time. And we all know that in order for us to have life, Jesus had to be broken for us. But what about now? What about this side of, of your salvation, your sovereign salvation of God? Now, when you need refreshment, what do you do? You come to Jesus and you speak to him. You speak to the rock and he gives you nourishment. He gives you life because you are already in that relationship with him. But what did Moses do? He hit it twice. And the Lord still provided for his people because he is a gracious God. But I do believe that Moses uh, messed up a good type there. Um, we'll continue on. Then when the people of Israel come after a generation had passed, and they come to the edge of the promised land, they come to that Jordan River, and the Lord divides the waters of that, and they walk through on dry land. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to skip, but you could, you could follow the stream all the way through. But I'm going to skip. Since we're at the Jordan River, I want to skip to Jesus. And that same Jordan River, many years later, Jesus would step out in his public ministry and be baptized, setting forth the example to us of baptism, to be baptized. <clears throat> then, then what did Jesus do? Well, we have this event at that wedding in Cana where they had run out of wine. Now, as I said, this is a survey course. Just, just think of how many, how many images you see as you go through just one topic. I mean... Each, each one of these little side banks of this river 
are, are worth sermons and, and, and volumes of sermons. But you have this wedding feast and the wine runs out. I believe wine in the scriptures is a symbol of joy. The joy had run out. What happens when the joy runs out in your life? Well, well Jesus comes. Jesus comes on the scene on this, on this occasion. And he says, I want you to fill up these, these basins with water. And they filled it to the brim. And he took water and he made wine out of it. That's a miracle. Amen. Now, especially when you think about water and, and that day, without all the filtration and, and, and uh, treatments that we have to make our water clean and, and purified, water would have been a very scary thing to drink. And so the Lord takes this water and he then converts it into wine, which is pure. That is one of the reasons, by the way, that we, we do wine in our communion. Because wine is pure of, of defects. It is the process of fermentation gets out all the infirmities. Jesus' blood that was shed for us is pure. There, there was no defect in him. So when we drink and we eat it in communion, we do so acknowledging through that symbol of the wine that he, his blood was perfect and is perfect. So he takes water and turns it into wine. And then as we mentioned, the woman at the well. Let's go over to John 4. We'll take a quick snack break on this sandbar too. John 4 verse 7. Jesus takes a detour, uh, a massive detour. He leads his disciples straight to this place. And he sits there at that well, that same well that Jacob had dug a thousand years before. And he sits there and he waits for this one woman at this particular time of the day. Which we, we, we have talked about this before. This was at a certain time of the day that all the rest of the women that drew their water from the well did not come because she was an outcast. She had had multiple husbands, and now she was living with somebody that wasn't her husband. And Jesus waits for her, and then when she comes, he says, give me to drink. And then she is just flabbergasted because this is a Jew asking of a Samaritan woman, and not just any Samaritan woman, an outcast of the Samaritan women, to draw him water. And Jesus answered to her statement and said, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. How many times have you come to the Lord in your prayers? And you're thinking, Lord, I don't, I don't know why you would grant this prayer. I don't know why you would do this. And the Lord is probably sitting there thinking, if you only knew who you're talking to. I think so many times in my life, I'm content to sit there and to play with my little mud pies, right? Instead of being able to go to the beach. That, that is the image that we have when we are sitting there praying to God and, and not understanding who we're dealing with. We are coming before the God of joy the God of love, the God of grace, the God who sees me. 
But yet somehow we think that he's not going to grant my feeble prayer. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? <laughs> She's talking to the person who watched Jacob dig this well. Jesus answered and saith unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal, into everlasting life. Wow. The Lord here is, is teaching us something about the spirit within you that he's given you. It is like a well of water. You have within you a well of water that never runs dry. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in that situation now where you were, in, you were feeling dry spiritually? Your water has run out just like Hagar. The water in your bottle is out and you're thinking, how do I get through this desert? Well, as a born-again child of God, the Lord has told you that he has planted, he has dug a well in your heart that is springing up. It's always flowing. It just may be that you need to dig again. You need to redig that well, to look again, because within you the Lord has given you nourishment. It may be that you have forgotten about that well within you. And that is why, praise God, I look forward to coming here and being with y'all on Sunday mornings. And, and Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and whenever time we can be together because it is a reminder. That's what the gospel message is. We're not up here digging wells. We're not up here planting wells in your hearts and, and, and making people be born again children of God. No, what we're doing is we are reminding you that there is a well that God has dug within you. We're reminding you that God will sustain you. That's what the gospel is. Amen. And that's what Jesus does. He comes to this woman who was an outcast. And this is the God who sees me. This is Elroy right here. He comes to this woman and he sees her. He comes to you. He sees you. He knows you. So we have the water to wine, the woman at the well, and then we also have the walking on the water. Jesus comes down to his disciples and, and walks on top of the water. Isn't that amazing? He defies physics, and it's his right to do that. He, he created physics, so he can do whatever he wants to with it. And so he walks on the water, which is such a beautiful example of what we could be like. As Peter walked on the water with him for a, a moment, what we could be like in this life if we walk with Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to get wet by the spray of the water. It doesn't mean that your, your feet aren't going to get wet. You're walking on the water. But you will not drown when you're with Jesus and your focus is on him. We continue the stream. And as I said, all streams lead to Jesus. We come, we come to a point in time uh, that might have been perceived as a little dark. We'll come to the eve of Calvary. What does Jesus do? 
What does Jesus do as he, is, as he knows that his time has come? He knows that he, he is about to be poured out as a drink offering for his children. He is about to experience abandonment from God. That he is, that he is a triune, perfect God has experienced all eternity. He is now about to experience the break of that and to experience abandonment. What does he do? Does he say to his disciples, I want you please to pamper me, feed grapes to me, fan me? No, what did, he, he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet with water. Man, what an image of what he's about to do. He is about to go to the cross for you. And the act of total submission and service. And so he commemorates that by getting down on his knees. The God of glory, the God who made that water, who, who made the cells of that person. And he gets down before them and he washes the dirt off of their feet. That's why we do it. Amen. Because if my Savior, if your Savior will get down and wash my feet, then you better believe I ought to get down and wash yours. Amen. So water to wine, woman at the well, walking on water, washing with water, and then we get down to, the, to, to where the stream that we've been following blossoms into this ocean, the wounds and the water of Christ. We come to the cross and Jesus gets up there on the cross for you. Even though he's got legions of angels at his disposal, he's got the God of glory. He is the God of glory. And what does he do for you? All the complaining of the children of God, through all the history that we've, we've gone down this stream and we've looked to the left and looked to the right down on the banks of the sides of this river and we have seen complaining and complaining and complaining. And what does God do every time? He nourishes his people. He gives them water. Right. He gives them what they need. Right. And one of the few things that Jesus says from the cross, what does he say up there as he is dying for you? He says, I thirst. That Jesus, your Savior, who has always put up with my complaining and your complaining and always given, given water to his people, he sits up there. And he thirsts for you. And at any second, he could have asked out of heaven and the Lord would have poured out rain and nourishment and water for him. But he thirsted for you. He thirsted for you. What a God. What a God that sees me. And then as he poured out his life and continued to thirst for you, he gave up the ghost for you. And then as that soldier came to his side just to check and see if he was dead, and he pierced his side for you. And what came out? Blood and water. His, his blood had broken down for you into its components, those blood cells in that water. And then last image, as, we, as we're now not on the stream anymore, we're sailing in the ocean of his love for you. We come to the last image. 
the image that we will see together someday. As John the Revelator, who no doubt missed Jesus and wanted to see him, he heard a voice behind him. He knew who it was. He turns around to see his Savior again. He looks at him. And his voice was as the voice of many waters. That is the voice that we're going to hear someday. I pray it soon. The God that sees me. Child of God, I want you to know that God loves you. That all of our complaining, He sustains us. That He was willing to do whatever it took for you, to thirst for you, to have that water come out of His side for you, to be literally that rock that was smitten for you. And one day, because of what he did for us, we will look on his face. We will see him again. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I would encourage you, please, if you don't know of anything to study, find something, find some topic in the scripture and study it through. And get back with me and see if it doesn't lead you straight to Christ. He said that all of these things... You know, you search the scriptures thinking that you're going to find eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Our Savior is everywhere in here. His love is pouring out for you. I'm so thankful he's not begging you. That he's not begging you to accept that gift. His love overcomes you. I hope that's an encouragement to you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.